Hey, Lily, aside from this podcast, have you ever set up a team entirely from scratch? Yeah, a couple of times I've started in a role and then quickly had to hire a team around me, usually to replace freelancers or an agency that's helped to get the concept off the ground. Um, It's quite an interesting time for a company as you're able to really set the tone for how you're going to work. Yeah, I'm... I'm almost never in that situation. You know, even when I have built an entirely new team, it's been in an established business, then they already have lots of practices and cadences established. I've always been curious about what it would be like to be the first person in, you know, with nothing already in place about how we actually worked. Well, wonder no more. This week, we're talking about starting from scratch with Maggie Crowley, VP of product at Charlie Health. We talk about hiring, research, metrics, and more. And there's loads of great takeaways, even if you aren't starting from scratch by yourself. The Product Experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Maggie, thank you so much for joining us this week. How's everything going? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, It's going pretty well. It's Monday, so everything's looking good. (laughs) (laughs) It's always Monday somewhere, unfortunately. Um, So for the few people who haven't listened to you on podcasts far and wide and don't know who you are already, can you just do a quick intro? Tell us what you're up to these days and how did you get into products in the first place? Sure. Happy to. Uh, So these days I am VP of product at a healthcare startup called Charlie Health. Uh, Before that was at a sales and marketing tech company called Drift. And then before that at TripAdvisor and some other places here and there. My journey into product is similar to, I think, a good chunk of us now these days, which is I was a consultant after undergrad, didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, went to business school, like many of us who don't know what they want to do with their lives. And while I was at business school, sort of discovered tech, discovered product management. Um, It seemed like the best marriage of the things I loved about consulting, but also a chance to actually be creative and see those problems through to the end. Um, And so tried it at TripAdvisor and loved it ever since. Fantastic. And when you were at Drift, you actually ran a fantastic podcast yourself for a while called Build. I did. I'm curious, what's the best thing you learned from, from doing that? Yeah. It's interesting. I think about this all the time, especially now that I have some distance from it and really thinking about at least noticing what I don't have in my day to day that I had when I was doing the show. And I think there's a couple of things I took away from it. One is how important it is to have smart people around you that you can bounce ideas off of and ask questions to having access. And because I recorded every two weeks, it meant that Roughly every two weeks, I was speaking to someone who was really good at one part of the job, if not the whole job. 
And what I would do is, of course, record a show. But then, uh, you know, when but you know, like we were doing before this, having a little chit chat, maybe after we're finished recording, I would have five, ten minutes to say, okay, here's really what I need you to to tell me. Like, here's the real question I want to ask you. That's about what I'm working on day to day. And having that cadence of smart people was just massive for me. And then, as far as what I learned from those people during the show, there's a couple of themes. One of which is that there's no right way to do this. There are a million different ways that you can ship products and ship great product. It's really more of a question of how good are you at matching your tool set to the group of people that you have around you and the problems that, that you're trying to solve. And I think the best people I spoke to over the two or so years that I did the show were the ones who knew that and were flexible and just viewed it all as like there's so many options and I'm going to draw from my experience to to help solve one. And then. I think the thing that was also really humanizing about it was that everybody from, you know, the people who were earliest in their career to mm-hmm. the people who are the most experienced sort of feel like they don't know what they're doing at some level. And I think everyone kind of, whether they admitted it during the recording or not, would say that. And I, it was so wonderful to hear, you know, these really accomplished people, you know, you'd, you'd hit end on the, the the show and then they would say, you know, I'm making it all up. I'm making it up. <laughs> and I was like, okay, like, if you feel that way, then I kind of feel that way. And I guess, you know, the people who you think are, who, who are so confident aren't as confident as they seem. And I, I always found that to be helpful, at least for myself. I love that whole thing about, uh, you know, we talk about, or we hear people talk about on stage and, and in, in blog posts and things like that, about the, the way that they did something. Mm-hmm. And it, what I keep telling people that I, that I coach and I work with is what they're telling you is something that worked one time in one place. And that's a great story. Yeah. And just taking that and trying to apply it is, I mean, you're not the same people, you're not in the same situation, but knowing what to steal and from whom that's the most important stuff. Yeah. I think about that in context of spaces like Twitter. So one of the things that I really wanted to do with the show is, and with, you know, whatever presence I have on social media is to share what I'm learning. Cause I felt like when I was getting started in a product, there were these people that had all this knowledge, but I couldn't access it. And I wanted to understand how to do this thing better, but there was so little, so little out there. At least I couldn't find stuff that was tactical. You know, there's medium articles to your point that are like the best case solution. There's books and whatever, but none of it felt practical to me. And I wanted to try to share practically what am I actually doing that's actually working or not. And I think especially places like Twitter, it's really hard where we were DMing. It's so hard to share all that nuance and to really understand like, yeah, it's, this is this is one microcosm of what worked. And I often can't share the stuff that you really need to understand about the context because it's really proprietary to the business that I'm in. So mm. yeah, I think that like, Again, it comes back to that point about finding people that you can talk to off the record or at least have interactions with. Like that's the, the best way and something that I've, I'm still trying to figure out how to do. The other thing that's totally awesome is a former guest of ours, Adrian Howard, has this thing he always does at conferences, which is called the failure swap shop, where you just get a group of people together and everyone talks about something that they screwed up and everyone gives them a round of applause and then the next person goes. And everyone has to have a go. And you learn so much from that. Yeah, I actually added that to my product management interview loop. I asked PMs, what's the worst thing that they've ever shipped personally? And it's <laughs> such a great interview question. And I learned so much. And it's so fun to talk about because we, to your point, we've all done it. And I, I think if you haven't done it, you, you probably haven't been building products for that long, or you haven't really pushed yourself that hard. That's amazing. I can 
like immediately as you said that I knew exactly which product I would talk about and yeah, I don't almost, even want to mention it yeah almost everyone goes oh man and then they start <laughs> laughing and then they're like well there's this one time and then you know launch into a story brilliant um and so today we have the pleasure of asking you all about um something that you've done recently which is moving to a brand new company and setting up a kind of brand new product function. So tell us a bit about that. What's it been like? Um, what kind of stage is the business at? And when you say kind of setting up a brand new product function, is that like a whole team or uh, what 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 are we talking about? Yeah, so the startup that I'm at right now, the founders made, in my opinion, a really interesting and smart decision, which was to prove out our business and our care model before investing and in building anything custom. So that means that we are a couple of years into operating and now we're bringing on a product engineering and design team. So when I say starting from the ground up, I mean, I was literally the first member of that whole org and we are tasked with sort of figuring out, of course, what the business needs now and what the business needs next, which is sort of typical for a product team. Um, but it also means that we get to decide, you know, what, what, who do we want to hire? How do we want to organize? What are the rituals that we want to have? How do we want to operate? We just get to decide all of that sort of intentionally all at once. And so that's been a really interesting process to go through and is, has allowed us to spend a bunch of time asking questions like what worked in our prior roles? What didn't work? You know, what's different about this situation? What's the same about the situation? What do we want to keep? What do we want to change? And all that kind of stuff. I think that's really interesting concept of like being able to start a product function with a lot of intention and uh and a lot of thoughts going into it rather than quite often what happens is that chaotic sort of effect of startups where everything just kind of scrambles together and founders are often involved in providing that sort of product guidance and then somehow they hire a product manager and then they try to take over and you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, how have you sort of set your criteria for setting this up? How have you kind of decided how to approach it? So the place that I start, no matter what, no matter what situation, what team, the stage of the company is always starting with what is the goal for the business? What's our mission? Um, just broadly then you know what is our competitive advantage what makes us different like what is special to this this company that's going to allow us to win um and then looking at you know what are the near-term goals that we were trying to get to as a company and why and what information do we have to back that up so start there second question i asked was given that where are we today and so we spent when i joined a bunch of time going through different user flows and understanding like exactly what's happening on the ground like where are we very clearly today with no, without any sort of rosy, rose colored glasses, right? Just like ground truth of what's happening. And then always thinking with those two things in mind, what's the gap and what's the first most impactful thing we needed to, we need to solve for to get from here to there. And I think it's an exercise that, that product people should always be doing no matter what the company or the team looks like, because if you do that, then it's really clear what you need, right? So what I didn't want to do is just come in and say, all right, we need, you know, these PMs and these engineers and these designers, and we're going to do this thing because that might not have been to our earlier conversation. That might not have been the right thing for the business. And so instead I spent 
a bunch of time really trying to understand the space that we were in and the problems that we wanted to solve. And then sat down by that time, our VP of engineering had joined. And so he and I sat down and said, okay, given where we're trying to go, given the situation that we're in, given sort of the kind of product that we want to build, this is where we think we want to start. And this is who we need to hire. And this is generally how we're going to set ourselves up. So what to, what tools or techniques did you use to start evaluating that? Were you, was that a lot of mapping? Was it uh, something from your consulting background? Where, where did you start to figure all that out? Yeah, I it's kind of tools and frameworks that I've gathered along the way from lots of different places. I don't typically use something like brand named or anything like that. It's more, it's sort of literally what I said. I just started Google Doc and I said, great, what's the mission? And I typed it up, made sure I got it right. Then I said, awesome. What are our numbers? Where are we headed? What's the big top line goal for the business? Wrote that down. And then I just started thinking about just walking myself through all the different questions I want to ask about the market and the team and our competitive advantage and all that kind of stuff. And I literally just write it all in a giant Google Doc. And then I, you know, I used Miro to do this sort of user mapping. And that was really, you know, there's nothing fancy about it. It's just every step along the way with all the questions and screenshots and any context I could put together. And then I just go back to the Google Doc and start refining my logic and trying to create a narrative about it and like kind of make sense of it so I can share it with the team. So, so yeah, it's, it's nothing fancy. It's probably a combination of, you know, some strategy frameworks I learned at business school, stuff I had from consulting, questions I've picked up along the way, all that kind of stuff. Was the outcome of that anything different to what you would typically expect a product function to look like with, you know, design, product management, tech, QA, blah, blah, no. blah? No, it was pretty <laughs> much the same. But I think it's important to me that the question wasn't really what, who should we hire? I mean, I think at some point you kind of, no matter what we need, we were going to start with a generalist group of people who could kind of do anything um, just to be quick about it. I think really what that exercise brought us was clarity and focus and the ability to make trade-offs because rather than starting at the same time as the business, because we're kind of coming in later as a team, we have to move really quickly because we're, we're growing really fast. We're scaling and we need to make some changes. And so for us, it was really important to, to build alignment with external stakeholders fast and also to give ourselves a way to talk about the work that we were doing in the order in which we were going to do that work in a way that really people could understand. And I think also talking about stuff that, you know, hasn't worked in, in past organizations or that didn't go as well. I think it's really easy to, to not be clear about why you're doing what you're doing. And the clearer you can be, the faster your team will move and the better they will do. And so to me as a product leader, it is mission critical that what I think we should do and why is so obvious and very clear. And all my logic is out on the, on paper. It's transparent. They can see whatever data I have. And then I also can say, this is where I'm making a bet based on what I think, like this is the bet that I want to make. And this is why, and this is where the, the, the data stops, because I think that happens on every product team. At some point you're making a bet. And I, I like to be really clear about when that is and why. So uh, as you've grown from just you trying to explain, you've brought in, uh, I think, one more product manager, you've got the team and the other people mm -hmm. are trying to explain things as well. Do they have their own ways of doing it? Do you have to align on how you express things or is the, 
the model, the mental model of how you dumped it and explained it in the first place, does that still hold true? I think it's still holding pretty true. I mean, we're not a giant team, so we we don't need to have too many different ways to talk about it. What we've been doing instead is trying to figure out what are the right ways to speak to different stakeholder groups. I think this is a common challenge for all of us. And so we sort of started with, okay, these are the priorities that we have. Um, we, we used a now next later format to, for a roadmap to kind of get a sense of the order of operations. And then as we've done more discovery work on the actual things that we're going to build to solve for the problems that we identified, now we're getting into more of a delivery phase and we have a more specific like delivery map and plan because anything that we launch in healthcare is like, there are many, many stakeholder groups that have to be aligned with us. And so we have to do a lot of planning. So we're kind of iterating on, on how we want to share what we're doing with different teams and how we plan together. But what I try to do, and I learned this from a guy I worked with at my last job, Greg, um, he was always really clear about the power of naming things and never naming things like V1 or V2 or whatever. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about the, the sort of short names for the work that we're going to do and really making sure we have those clear so that when we talk about what we're doing, we can use language that everyone's going to understand. And so we do have a bunch of those. If 2022 is the year you're looking to advance your career, expand your network, get inspired, and bring the best products to market, then join Mind the Product for their next conference this May. At MTPCon San Francisco plus Americas, you'll soak up invaluable insights from an epic lineup of the best in products, covering a range of topics that will challenge and inspire you to step up as a product manager. You've got the option to go fully digital for both days or get the best of both worlds with a hybrid ticket, digital on day one and in person at the SF Jazz in San Francisco on day two. I was at the most recent edition of this event in London last year, and it was just awesome. Get tickets now at mindtheproduct.com. I'm curious, one of the things that I found when you're hiring people is that uh, you kind of have to consider how they all fit together as well as you know, you kind of mentioned earlier about hiring sort of generalists in each of the different areas, but you do tend to end up, in my experience, with, you know, product people who might be more sort of UX focused or designers who are slightly more technical or, I don't know, even uh, engineers who are a bit more data led or, or or kind of, you know, stronger on, could, could be potentially stronger on data. So when you're hiring that quickly, was that a consideration at all or, or were you just kind of like, we have to just get good generalist people in and then see how they fit together and then sort of see where or if we still have gaps anywhere? Yeah, because we, the, again, because the business has been around for a while, it's pretty clear this set of opportunities that we want to solve for in the next six to 12 months. And so for us, it was a little bit easier to see the types of people that we would need and the kinds of skills that we would want to have. And so to me, we had a little flexibility in that I wanted to build a team that has where everyone brings a different sort of specialty to the, to the group. Because then I think you have one of those situations where, of course, everyone's good at their functional role, but then everyone kind of spikes in a different area and can add something to the team and make sure that we're sort of complete as a squad. 
So that's one thing I looked for. But then also I knew that there were some problems that are more analytical, some that are more maybe UX focused. And so have been recruiting with an eye towards that to, to sort of think about, oh, this this type of person would be good fit for this type of problem that I know we want to solve versus this type of person would be better fit for this type of problem. And so that's in the back of my mind as I'm hiring. But I think also one of the things that happens is you meet different people and they can be good for different reasons. And then they have to interact with each other to your, kind of what you're talking about. And so I think a lot about as I bring people onto the team, sort of scenario planning, how they're all going to interact with each other and making sure that they, they're all going to get along and add to one another. And then a thing that we've been really intentional about are two things. One, talking very specifically about how we take our work seriously and that causes some people to want to opt in and some people to want to opt out. And then we also talk about how we're hiring people who are really kind and we really want to create a team that's collaborative. And that's been another thing that's really helped us. Uh, Maggie, I'm curious, uh, with all that, one of the key things is uh, that we talked about earlier was about frameworks and tools and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, about, you know, everyone's diary is always a mess. It's something that every product person I've ever met has complained about. So when you're starting this from scratch, you've got a relatively small team, you're setting up which meetings, which ceremonies, which things you want to have. What's working for you so far? What what things have you kept? What things have you said, actually, we don't need this right now? Yeah. We decided from basically day zero that we would set... So we're distributed across US time zones. Um, and so we decided that 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific would be meeting time when we would schedule any recurring meetings or team meetings should be in that block. And then outside of that block, we protect time for focus work. Um, Because again, name of the game for us is scaling and speed. And so we wanted to make sure everyone had time for deep work. Uh, So that's one thing that we did. Second thing that we did is we are just using like a rough agile model right now, just as a place to start. And then knowing that sort of week to week, month to month, we're going to be iterating on our processes, but we wanted to give ourselves something to start with that was familiar to everybody. Um, and so what we do is we have a 15 minute stand up uh, Monday through Thursday that's at the beginning of the day ish West Coast time and mid morning, early midday um, East Coast time. And that is honestly, it's five to 10 minutes. We made this really aggressive rule where there's absolutely no chit chatting. There's no fun happening in that meeting, which makes it kind of funny because we we're trying really hard. But that's intended to truly like, what are we doing? Do we need to get Do we need any collaboration today? Are there any open questions? And then we keep it really short. And then of course we have a a retro every other week and we do sort of sprint planning. Um, And that's allowed us to talk in, in our retro, we spend a lot of time talking about this question about meetings, what's working, what's not working. Do we want to add anything, take anything away? Um, And then we have a 30 minute kind of just look at each other on the zoom demo Friday. That's just kind of like a nice close of the week. And that's really all that we've been doing and it's been working really well. We have other rituals that we do, but those are more project related and are not recurring. And we're, we try to keep those pretty light as well. So what have you intentionally not introduced or said we're definitely not doing those or if anything? I'm not even sure. I don't know <laughs> what other, it's interesting. Cause when you, when you start from scratch, it's like, well, what were all those meetings I was in? Why were they there? I don't even remember what they were. So I was fighting back against standup. I didn't think we needed to do that. And it, I was wrong for lots of reasons. One of which was because we're new and we don't know each other that well. And so that's been a nice touch 
touch point for us to just build more rapport as a team. Um, but yeah, I can't even think of what the other meetings were. I'm in a ton of meetings, but I'm in a lot of sort of leadership cross-functional meetings and I'm doing a lot of recruiting, but I wouldn't count those as, as like the product team, if that makes sense. So what about metrics and how have you started to decide like what track and I guess if the business has been very focused on operations, they probably have their kind of operational metrics, but um, have you had to kind of introduce more sort of product metrics or success criteria for your team? Um, some, I, I think on this question, really my focus is, is really there's three questions any product team has to answer. You know, one is, are your users using it? Two is, is it working? And the third one is, is it up? So are you performant? You know, are you hitting those sort of quality metrics that you need to have as a, as a team? And to me, the, the metrics that fit into those buckets depend on the business that you're in, the type of product that you have. And I often find that thinking about it as a product metrics versus business metrics is misleading because it should be the same at some level. And it's only different on a feature on like a per feature level, or if you're doing an experiment. So for me right now, given the stage that we're in, there's really isn't a distinction between the business metric and the product metric. And so that's, those are the buckets that I think about. What I do think about a lot is that making sure that we sort of future proof what we want to do. So a lot of our current business relies on data. And so for me, I want to make sure that we're tracking everything, even if we're not using it. The thing I don't want to do is, you know, in six months have a question, not be able to answer it. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, with our VP of engineering thinking about making sure that we're tracking everything so that we can go back and ask questions if we want to later, but we don't need to deal with that right now. The, again, the priorities are pretty clear. And then the other thing I always think about is I think it's really easy for a product team to go hunting around in data and to just start finding things without a hypothesis. And so to me, I really care about what are the questions we're asking? What are the hypotheses that we have as a business and why? And that would be how I would think about metrics and not just like, well, we're a product team. We need to have metrics. So let's start tracking stuff. Like, who cares? What does that add? Does, does that matter at all? Is that time worth, worth spending right now? It might not be because the problems that might be really obvious. And so again, I always ask like, what is a hypothesis? Why are we thinking about this? What is the question that we have? And then I let that drive. Uh, the metrics that we want to track. Um, so that's, I, I find that really interesting around like if something's really obvious and I grapple with this kind of question myself uh, quite often of, you know, do we need to measure this or is it just so obvious that we need to do this thing or, uh, or ch you, you know, change this thing in some way? Like how do you decide in your work whether something is obvious enough that you don't need to measure it or you don't need to kind of analyze it from a kind of data perspective or a metrics perspective and you just go, okay, no, I just need to do this. Yeah. I would ask, how will you know if it worked? And sometimes the work it would take to know if it worked mathematically is so much and you twist yourself into such knots that it's common sense. And I think this is a topic that I, I wrestled with on the my podcast a while ago with a couple of guests, which is to your point, how do you articulate common sense and how do you build up enough conviction that you know that it's common sense? Mm. And I think 
An example that, that came up the other day was with user testing. And so, you know, Canon would state, we got to user test everything. But do you really need to user test a table? Probably <laughs> not. Should your table be sortable by the column headers? Probably. Should, should you start it with roughly like alphabetical based on the leftmost column? Probably. That's a fair assessment. And I think it's stuff like that where like, you probably don't have to user test that. You probably don't have to analyze whether the table is working because it's a table, right? And I think it's things like that that people forget that you don't always have to do and you can move more quickly, especially if it's a pattern that already works that your users already understand that you don't need to recreate the wheel for whatever reason. Makes sense. Okay, I'm gonna ask the question going in totally the other direction, which is, one of the things that I see people flounder with and, and ask questions about again and again is, I hate the tool that we're using to track our metrics. So how did you decide what to use? <laughs> this is such a red herring problem. People <laughs> like obsess about their tools and who cares? It's, it has nothing to do with the tools, right? Like you, you don't need it. You, you could have just some sort of raw SQL layer and you can answer your questions for yourself if you really needed to. You could use Excel, CSVs, whatever. I just think that people, or, or when, it's not really people, it's when you are over focused on the tool, there's something deeper happening that is preventing you from doing your work. And I often find that there is a lack of confidence in the question or in the person's ability to answer the question. And it causes them to fixate on the tool when really it's not about the tool, right? It's about like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to solve this or it's, I'm having trouble solving it. And so I'm going to blame the tool and not really like be honest about the thing that's happening. So for me, we haven't even really picked most of our tools yet. I'm basically using Google Drive or G, G Suite, Jira, Notion, and that's about it right now. Um, we'll add, and we're adding tools as we go at Figma. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I'm always reluctant to add tools because I, they almost never solve problems. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you on that one. <laughs> um, also having made some mistakes with tools where I go, where I kind of think, I think we really need this. And then we sign up to it and I'm like, God, we really didn't need that thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the tools, I think a common one, there's like obviously, uh, sort of, data analytics tools. And there's lots of reasons why you would, would or wouldn't pick those. I don't personally have a strong opinion about them. I can use, they all kind of will answer your question and be frustrating in different ways. It's mm -hmm. usually not a big deal. I think the problem is like when you take too long to pick on the product management tooling side, I, there's always this promise of, you know, this tool is going to make it easy to communicate your roadmap to like these 25 different stakeholder groups. Maybe that's true. I haven't really spent a lot of time trying them out, so I can't really speak to that. One thing I will say is that by using Google Drive or Slides or whatever, you have to kind of like rewrite it every time for the different stakeholder group. And I find the practice of having to do that and to think through the thing you're going to say to be really valuable. And it makes the story better every time I tell it. And so sometimes I like tools that have friction in them because it forces you to think about what you're saying. And it forces you to reevaluate your language and to think about what that stakeholder group needs. And so to me, Sometimes the friction isn't totally a bad thing. Mm. And we're kind of coming to time, but um, before we finish up, it would be great to find out a bit more about what you do on the research side of things. So sure. 
And, you know, quite often when I start somewhere new, like one of the first things I want to do is go and like interview a bunch of customers or or the kind of uh, user groups. So how have you approached that within the team when you've got, um, you know, a, a whole bunch of people starting um, and presumably no user research function? Um, that's a question mark. <laughs> yeah, um, we don't have a user research function yet. Um, I am a big believer in constant discovery. And so the first thing I did was shadow as many parts of our business as I could. Obviously in healthcare, there's some restrictions to what you you can and can't attend. Um, But I spent a bunch of time with our clinical team, with our internal team that runs a lot of the program, with the team that's running some of the sort of ops behind the scenes. And I would say if I were to join a a non-healthcare company, it's like, I'm, yeah, I'm going to interview 10, 20, 30 users. I'm going to interview prospects. I'm going to interview people who churned. Um, I'm going to interview all the stakeholders in the team, put together those journey maps on like what people are doing. I think it's important as a product leader to go through that, to really understand the thing that you're working on. I think it's important. Every PM that joins, every designer that joins has to redo that exercise for themselves as well. And kind of can, we have this journey map that is consistently being edited and created by the team as we add people um, as one of our onboarding activities is really important to have people do that. And then it's really important to me to have continuous moments where we are, you know, building in ways to talk to our users um, across the different personas that we're never, what I, I guess maybe what I'm, what I'm saying is what I don't want is to have user research to be this like distinct thing that we go and do at one point which is true. Maybe we, we're going to do that when we have a design that needs to be user tested or we have a specific research question. But I also want there to be sort of continuous contact with those teams and a conversation about what they need. Because um, I think that just helps you have their point of view and their needs in your mind as you're building, as you're making decisions on the margin as the team sort of moving forward. Um, so that's, that's sort of how I think about it. I also, when I joined or when I started at this company thought, you know, we don't, we don't need a research team. We'll just, we'll just have PMs and designers do it themselves. That I've completely reversed my, my point of view on that. And I think bringing in a user research team earlier is going to be a big unlock for us. And so um, I'm starting to think about that now. Maggie, that was fantastic. I would love to keep talking to you about this all day, but I think you have a day job to get back to. So (laughs) thank you very much. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk about this stuff. The product experience is the first and the best podcast from Mind the Product. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith. And me, Randy Silver. Lou Ron Pratt is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arnie Kittler, who curates both Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and who also plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. You can connect with your local product community via Product Tank, regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, maybe you should think about starting one. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank.